I want to thank all those who've been involved in our service today, those in the sound booth. I uh, appreciate Phil's thoughtful prayers this morning. And uh, these gals could really sing. I know my heart needed that. And Brinley, thank you for singing. That was so good. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that a few more times this week for my own, uh, for my own mental health. So thank you so much. Uh, we are coming near the end of our Follow Me series. In fact, today we're going to do a bit of a summary. Next week, we're going to have a message called Follow Me to Eternity and talk about what it means to be the people of God or followers of Jesus in the next life when we get to be with Christ and see him face to face. And that actually will be a segue into our next series, which is going to be called Living Hope. It's going to be a series on the end times. Uh, So that's going to start two weeks from today. But for now, we want to, as I said, do a bit of a summary uh, from our series called Follow Me Together. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We have learned in this series that to be a follower of Christ is just another way of saying a believer or a Christian or being born again. This is the language that Jesus used. And he wasn't referring to something different or some higher plane of the Christian life. He was just talking about what it means to be a Christian, a believer. He called it discipleship. He invited people to follow him. And so I want us to see seven things. uh, Things that I believe summarize all that we've seen in this series and all that it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, you might think of other things, and I I would probably say those things will fit within these seven But I just want to summarize what it means to be a disciple by looking at these seven things. First of all, a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, is someone whose life is surrendered to Christ. Now, we know that salvation comes by faith. It comes through repentance. This idea of surrender is really a beautiful way to picture what it means to believe. To believe is to trust. And what better way to trust someone than to surrender your life to them? And that is what Jesus called people to. When the disciples left their nets and followed Jesus, this is exactly what they were doing. And this is what we are called to do as well. If we trust Jesus for salvation, then we surrender our lives to Christ. So we ask ourselves this morning, is that the attitude of our heart? Have we surrendered ourselves to Jesus? Number two, we are being transformed into the character of Christ. Uh, To be a disciple is to be his follower, it's to be his student, it's to be his apprentice. And the goal of the disciple is to know what the rabbi knows and to live as the rabbi lives. And so we are being transformed into the image of Christ. This is the ultimate goal of salvation Uh, We'll learn in our our Living Hope series that when we see Jesus, when we stand before him, when we see him face to face, we will be fully like him. But for now, we pursue that transformation. We welcome that transformation. We want to be more like Jesus day by day. And so we're seeking to learn from him and grow. And that's what the next one is about. We, We learn the word of Christ. When Jesus gave his apostles the Great Commission... He said, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them. Christianity is a faith that's built on truth. It's built on the word of God. And so in order to be like Jesus, in order to do the work of Jesus in this world, 
we need to know what he says. And so we are committed to learning the word of Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. That is why as individuals, we commit ourselves to being faithful and reading the word, even studying the word. Uh, We're taught in scripture to meditate on the word. And that's why this time is important as a church family as well. The preaching of the word, it's not about the preacher's words, it's about the word of Christ or the word of God uh, being uh, delivered through a human instrument for our benefit. So we need to be committed to learning the word, but of course not just learning it, uh, but being changed by it. We obey the commands of Jesus. In the Great Commission, he said, teach those new disciples everything I've commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We understand that Christianity is, is, is about faith and we trust Jesus. We're not earning our salvation by our own righteousness or our deeds. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we hear him say, come and we obey him. We follow him and we do the works that he calls us to do. We obey Jesus as his followers. And then this one, and uh, for some reason my words have gotten a little bit mixed up on the screen here, but hopefully you can see some of them. We are committed to the community of Christ. In other words, the church. To be a follower of Jesus is to become part of this community of faith, and we commit ourselves to that community. We function as part of that community. We serve within that community. We love within that community. And we allow that community to be be part of that transformation process in our own lives. We commit ourselves to the church. It's one of the things that we want to continue to see and promote here at Wallenstein is is a vibrant participation in church life. Not as the, the end of all things, but as one of the ways that God transforms us. We would love to see more and more small groups and more people engaged in small groups for the benefit that, uh, that life on life, meaningful Christian relationships can have in transforming us and encouraging us and helping us along the way. And then this one. We participate in the mission of Christ. This is one that we often miss. I often have missed. Sometimes we commit ourselves to the community of Christ and we feel like, well, that's, that's it. I've, I'm doing everything that I've been called to do. And yet, no, we're, we're actually called to participate in the mission of Christ. That is why the church is called the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the mouth of Jesus. We proclaim the good news. We put the good news on display. Uh, we, we bring justice to where there is injustice in our world. We let the kingdom of God be seen through our lives as individuals and as a church. We want to, we need to participate in this mission. To be a follower of Jesus, we can't say, well, uh, it's, it's enough for me to do what I do, to, uh, to, to, to uh, live my Christian life, to try and do good, to get involved in my church. That's not enough because Jesus, he says, just as I was sent into the world, he says to us, in John 17, now I'm sending you into the world. It's his mission. It's become our mission. We follow him into this. If we're really following Jesus, we will hear him beckoning us to go to the people who need the good news. And we will follow. And then finally, this one, which I think is going to be hidden on your screen. Uh, We are empowered 
by the life of Christ. Now, if you're like me, you could read through those first six bullet points and say, well, I agree, I, I, I can see from the Bible that those are true for me, but I find myself so weak, so unable to live out that life, and that's, of course, why we need the seventh one. We are empowered by the life of Christ. This is the beauty of being a disciple of Jesus. We don't just get a teacher. We don't just get a, a, a rabbi, someone who's going to make us his apprentice. But our teacher... Uh, saves us and come and comes and indwells us and his life literally empowers us to do the things that he's called us to do uh, that's why this is all about grace it's not something we create and produce in ourselves having come to Christ surrendered our lives to Christ for salvation he is the one who's producing these things in us so we don't feel guilt-ridden or we don't feel like oh I've got to try harder what we need in order to live this life, excuse me, we, we need Jesus. Just as we trusted him for salvation, we trust him to empower us to live the Christian life. We cannot do it on our own. And that last point is where I want us to focus in our message today. And we're going to look at those verses that Sylvia read for us from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. And we're going to call this message, Follow Me Fruitful. John 15, 1-8. I wonder if you noticed, as Sylvia read those verses, how often the word fruit, or a word that contains the word fruit, is used. Verse 2, Jesus says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. There's three, three cases of the word fruit in the first two verses. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples and then Hope you have your Bible there. Look down at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I love this. Uh, this becomes for us a beautiful summary of those seven points that we've just seen. Uh, what we see here, if you look at verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Notice how that verse ends. If you bear much fruit, you are showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, this is meant to be a reassurance for us that if we are genuine followers of Jesus, he's going to be at work in us and through us and gradually transforming us and making us more like he is, and we will be increasingly bearing fruit in our lives. It's meant to be a word of encouragement. It's meant to be a way of God saying, see, I, I told you, this is what I'm doing in you and through you. This shows you that you are my disciple. And what is it? It's fruitfulness. It's a fruitful life that is the evidence that we are followers of Jesus. And so we take this really seriously. Jesus said this. Notice it again in verse 8. That bearing much fruit is how you show yourselves to be my disciples. 
a fruitful life. It is the evidence that we are followers of Jesus. And really, this idea of the fruitful life is the summary of those seven points that I just showed you on our first slide. A life surrendered to Christ, transforming into the character of Christ, learning the word of Christ, obeying the commands of Christ, committed to the community of Christ, participating in the mission of Christ, empowered by the life of Christ. All of that can be summarized by this simple phrase, a fruitful life. But what is a fruitful life? We've got this incredible passage here in John 15, and, and actually I think if we study through this passage, we'll see some, some specific things, we're going to see some specific things that make up a fruitful life. But I want to give you a definition that I think can be helpful to us. Fruitfulness is doing the work of Christ in the character of Christ by the power of Christ. I'm going to show that slide again later, but I find this definition really helpful for myself. Fruitfulness is doing the work of Christ in the character of Christ by the power of Christ. Now we remember that as Christians, we are being transformed. Uh, we don't get saved and immediately live a perfectly fruitful life. We, we don't perfectly do all the work of Christ, and we don't perfectly exhibit the character of Christ, and we don't always do even good things in the power of Christ. Far too often we do things in our own strength, and yet this is the life that God is going to be producing in us and making more real in us. And it's amazing to me that we can be fruitful from, from the moment that we are saved. A baby Christian can be fruitful, but a growing and maturing Christian can also be fruitful, and in fact can grow in fruitfulness, just like an apple tree as it grows larger. If it's well taken care of, if it's healthy, if it's pruned, it can produce more and more apples year by year. This is the fruitful life. The evidence of discipleship is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is doing the work of Christ in the character of Christ by the power of Christ. Now, think of this. If this is what the Christian life is, if this is what it's all about, if this is how we glorify God, which the passage says it is, if this is how we demonstrate that we are genuine followers of Jesus, then we just want to ask ourselves for a moment, how fruitful are we? Are we doing the work of Christ? Do we get up in the morning with a, a passionate heart that says, I want to please the Lord. I, I want to take time today to serve God. I want to take time today to serve my church family. I want to engage in the mission of Jesus today. I want my life to count. In fact, that's why he's made me. That's why he's saved me. That's why he hasn't taken me out of this world because he has a job for me to do. Ephesians 2 says that we're, of course, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works that any, so that anyone would boast. But then it goes on immediately to say that we've been created for good works, that God prepared us beforehand to do good works. To be a fruitful Christian is to live our lives with the intent that I want to do the will of God. Jesus said to his disciples in John 4, this is my food. This is what feeds my soul. 
is to, is to live my life to do the will of God, to please my Father. And now that we are the children of God, our hearts begin to shift. And we, we repent of a life that's lived for self, and we turn now, and we live for God, and we do the work of God. You don't have to be a full-time missionary or pastor to connect with this definition. We can all do the work of God. Number one, our vocation, whatever it is that God has given you to do for a job or what he's given you skills to do or given you opportunities, he's opened that door for you, that's one of the ways that we serve God. Sadly, many of us as Christians, we go to work every day not thinking that we're serving God in that role, but simply that we're maybe providing for ourselves or we're earning some money or we're taking care of our family. But we need to see that role that God has given us whether we're a farmer or a truck driver, a nurse, a, a mom, of course, we want to see that as the, our opportunity to do the work of God. And through that, to bring the kingdom of God, to bring the character of Jesus into that place, into that space, into that work that you're doing. Are we growing in the character of Christ? God's intent for us is that we'd be transformed. Those old habits, those old ways, the, the, that old character of mine, my, my old anger, my old pride, that day by day, gradually, God would be chipping away at those things and transforming me, is our hunger, the hunger of our soul, to be more like Jesus. One of the Beatitudes that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 5 is, is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We long to be more like Jesus. We know that our life will be most impactful if we are more like Jesus. Fruitfulness is doing the work of Christ and doing it in the character of Christ and we're doing it by the power of Christ. Now, many of us struggle. In fact, my struggles with mental health in my life have often boiled down to trying to do the first two things in my own strength. Thinking that somehow I was responsible to produce these things in me, that I, I was capable of producing these first two things in my life, and I wasn't. And it led to anxiety and depression. This is the beauty of the Christian life, is that we don't do these things somehow in our own, but but that we have been so united with Christ that He is in us and we are in Him so that now we can do His work in His character because His life is empowering us. We don't produce this, this in ourselves. We become channels as we trust Jesus to do His work within us. This is fruitfulness. So how do we cause this fruitfulness to grow in our lives. Well, Jesus gives us two things uh, right at the outset of this passage. Two things. Number one, our connection to Christ. Number two is our submission to the Father. Notice number, number one, he says, I am the true vine. And then number two, he says, my Father is the gardener. So let's look at the first one first. We live fruitful Christian lives through our connection to Jesus. We've just been talking about this. 
That's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now he's making a reference to the Old Testament where God described the people of Israel as being like a vineyard and he was the the vine dresser, the gardener. And he comes to Israel looking for fruitfulness from his people, this nation. And instead of good fruit, he finds bad fruit or no fruit. So Jesus is referring to that in a sense. He's saying that, that now he has come to fulfill all that Israel was incapable of fulfilling. Now he could be the true vine that would ultimately produce fruit. And how would he do that? He would do that again through his people. That Jesus would produce good fruit for his Father through those who are his disciples, through those who would believe in him. But notice the ways that we see connection here with Jesus. Verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. We're going to talk a little bit later about the assurance that we can have in our connection to Christ. But isn't this a beautiful thought? That to be a follower of Jesus is to have Jesus abiding or remaining or staying in us. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The obvious conclusion being that we are connected to him. That we are alive in him. Just like a branch that's connected to a, to a vine or to a tree. Notice verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This relational connection to Jesus. He says it again in verse 12, he says, I have loved you. And then in verse 14, he says, I've called you friends. This is the beauty of salvation in Christ, that we have this relationship with Jesus that is so real, so tangible. And the problem, of course, is we don't always feel this to be true. Jesus is giving us lots of truth here to hang on to and to believe and to assure ourselves that this indeed is true. But through our repentance and faith, salvation brings us into this connection point with Jesus. We are born again. We are made alive and the roots of our real life go down deep into Jesus. It is a bond that can never be broken. He is mine and I am His. I am alive in Christ. I am connected to Christ. This is the secret to fruitfulness. We can be fruitful because we have been connected to the vine. But notice what Jesus is saying here. He's teaching us, as Sylvia read in her version, that we should abide in Jesus. Or in my version, the word is remain. So this is interesting. If we are truly a genuine follower of Jesus, then we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we're going to see even in this passage that a genuine believer can never lose that connection point with Jesus. But it's possible for us to live our lives in a disconnected kind of way. Just like those of us who are married can understand the reality of, of having a, a permanent relationship bond with our spouse and yet living in a disconnected way where we're just not, we're not getting along, we're not communicating well, we're not on the same page. And that's possible in the Christian life. We have this permanent bond in Jesus, but it's possible for us to live in such a way that we're not actually 
sticking to him uh, in, in terms of our minds and our hearts and our wills. We're kind of living in our own strength. We're kind of doing our own thing. And Jesus says, if you do that, in fact, he tells us what that's like. In verse 6, if you do not remain in me, he says, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. He's describing here, uh, in a sense, a person who's not alive in Christ, who ultimately will not have that eternal life in Christ, even perhaps referring to eternal punishment, the punishment of fire, punishment of hell. He says, if you don't remain in me, you're like that. Your fruitfulness dies. Not, not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. He's just saying you're acting like a branch that's not connected at all. So don't do that. Abide in me. Remain in me. And he's going to give us some ways in which we can do this in this passage. Here's the first one. We are connected to the vine in dependence. Let's see some examples of that. Verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He's talking to, as we're going to see in a moment, he's talking to saved disciples. Judas Iscariot is not here in this conversation. He's talking to 11 men who are saved. They are his children. They are his followers. And yet he's saying that if you don't depend on me, if you don't seek your life, your strength, your nourishment from me, you will not bear fruit in your life. So we have to maintain this attitude of dependence. See how bluntly he says it in verse 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But Then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a very strong word. That means that for those of us who are actively serving Jesus, and yet we read a scripture like this and we think, you know what, I wonder if a lot of what I do, I actually do in my own strength. In fact, a lot of us choose how we're going to serve God based on what we think we can do by our own resources and gifts and strengths. Uh, now, of course, God gives us abilities and strengths and gifts to serve him, but we're not meant to serve out of a sense of our uh, self-reliance, our personal ability, we're meant to serve out of the resources that he provides. So if we do all kinds of things for God, but we're doing it in our own strength and resources, he says you're not actually accomplishing anything. You're not actually being truly fruitful. Then he talks about asking. This is one of the ways we express our dependence. Prayer is one of the ways we express our dependence on Christ. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, this is verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse 16, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Prayer is an expression of our dependence. But notice here the condition that Jesus places on these prayers. He's saying that we can expect God to answer our prayers when we're praying out of that place of union with Christ, praying in his name. He says that in both cases. 
Verse 16, whatever you ask in my name. Verse 7, he says, it's, it's, it comes out of my word remaining in you. When we pray from that point of connection, from a mind and heart that's connected to God's word and his purposes, then we find that God tends to answer those prayers. What does it look like to be connected to Jesus? Number one, dependence. Faith is all about dependence on God. Secondly, what, what does it mean to be connected to Jesus? Well, we see some beautiful expressions of assurance. Verse 3, he says to those disciples seated there, 11 of them, you are already clean. He'd said this already in that, that evening, back two chapters earlier, when he was washing the disciples' feet, and Peter, of course, recognizing that he really shouldn't have Jesus wash his feet. It should have been the other way around. And he says, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. And, uh, and then Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, wash my whole body. And then Jesus says, but you've already been bathed. This is the assurance that he's giving to these apostles. You are already clean. You are already, he's saying, you're already saved. You are permanently saved. This is assurance. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How great is the love of Christ for us. If he could compare his love for us to the Father's love for him. The Father, a divine love for a perfectly divine person. How great is that love? That's the kind of love that Jesus has for his own, for his people. He says, I have loved you, now remain in my love. What is he saying? Live in the assurance of my promises. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How do we have joy in the presence of Jesus? It comes through our assurance that we belong to him. I am his, he is mine. It comes from the assurance that he has saved me and made me his own. Notice verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he says, you are my friends. I wonder what it was like for the apostles to reflect back on these words of Jesus. He said them, of course, just before he died for them. But they could reflect back on these verses and feel the weight of the assurance of his love when he says, you're my friends. No one has greater love than this than to die for their friends. That's exactly what Jesus would do for them and for us. Then verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit. Understanding the sovereignty of God and choosing his people is a mystery that I've often struggled with in my life and sometimes balked against. And yet as I grow older in my faith, I come to find tremendous assurance in this truth. This is how we know that our salvation is not rooted in ourselves and in our performance, but in God who chose us, as the scriptures say, even before the foundation of the world. How do we stay connected to Jesus? We stay connected through our dependence. We see him as the vine. We we, we, we latch on to him in faith. We, we have minds and hearts that stay close to him. And then we are connected to him in assurance. We rest in the promises that he's made. 
about who we are and what he's done for us. But then we're connected to him in obedience. Yes, obedience. You cannot escape how often Jesus spoke of obedience to his disciples. We've mentioned it already, even in the Great Commission. And we see it again here. Verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Then verse 12, My command is this, Love each other. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Obedience is one of the ways that we abide in Christ. What is obedience? Obedience is me turning my ear toward Jesus to hear what He says to me, to to know His will for me. And then bringing my heart and my will into alignment with those words and responding in faith and choosing to obey. This is how I align this channel of my life, this empty vessel that I am. This is how I align it with the powerful energy and power and life of Jesus. This is how his life flows out of me when I align my mind, heart, and will in obedience to him. Produces fruitfulness. So we can be fruitful through our connection to Jesus, but then there's this other one. Fruitfulness comes through our submission to the Father. Notice again in verse 1, Jesus says, My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I wonder how often we have hindered the work of our loving Heavenly Father who is pruning our lives for our good so that we can be more fruitful, so that we can bring Him more glory. Pruning our lives for our own good, trimming away things that are actually causing us grief and harm, helping us to find a greater measure of peace and, and, and joy in Him alone. And yet, we so often fail to submit to the loving, wise hand of the Heavenly Father who is pruning us. And we ask ourselves, are we receptive to His wise pruning? I know in my life, perhaps in your life, we have actually restricted and hindered fruitfulness because we have had hearts of stone to the gentle pruning of our Father when he has lovingly brought pain and hardship, disappointment, loss. And we, we feel the weight of that. We feel the pain of that. And we, rather than recognizing that God is using that for our good, we become angry. We become distant. Our hearts grow hard. How else does God prune us? prunes us through his word 
we come to his word day by day. Isn't this true for you? I mean, it, it seems like any time I just take a moment to sit and absorb the word of God, there is always transformation. There, there is always a mirror there showing me what, what is lacking in my life, what is not yet like Jesus. God uses his word. God uses the reading of his word, the meditating on his word, the preaching of his word to prune our lives. Sometimes God uses his people. I've watched Christians who've had loving believers who cared for them come alongside and bring gentle encouragement, sometimes a word of rebuke. And I've seen us as believers turn a blind eye, close our ears, harden our hearts to the ways that God intended to speak into our lives through our brothers and sisters in Christ. Proverbs says the wounds of a friend is faithful. God will prune us through brothers and sisters who love us. Are we receptive to the Father's wise pruning? This is where fruitfulness comes from in our lives. It comes from our connection to Jesus. And it comes from our submission to the Father. And when we open our hearts to these things, God produces gradually, steadily, increasing amounts of fruitfulness in our lives. And fruitfulness is doing the work of Christ in the character of Christ by the power of Christ. Fruitfulness really is a summary of all that it means to be a follower of Jesus. A life surrendered to Christ, transforming into the character of Christ, learning the word of Christ, obeying the commands of Christ, committed to the community of Christ, participating in the mission of Christ, empowered by the life of Christ. My prayer for us as a church family is that we would be committed to this vision. That as individuals, we would long to be faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus. That where our lives are not aligning to this vision, the vision of Christ, for what his followers would be and do, that we would submit to the word of God. That we would repent and turn towards Jesus and towards his vision for us. And then that as a church, that we would long as a church family to see this become more and more true of us. That the activities that we do, the ministries that we perform, the ways that we interact with one another and with the world would conform to this vision of Jesus for his people, for his church. May God make this true of us in increasing measure. Let's sing.